course, the adventure is not over, not by a long shot. If I didn't believe every word we've written here, I wouldn't have been able to endure the loss. But I do believe it. No, I know it's true. Many people have asked, don't you wish that Brent could have seen all this, the wonderful impact your work is having? I smile and nod, knowing that he does see it. Much of it is probably his doing. With love and gratitude, John Eldridge. So these are Brent's words of acknowledgments and thanks. Any creative work is in some sense indebted to every person who has had an impact on one's life, for good or bad. At this moment, I'd like to thank some of those whose lives and hearts have contributed in special ways to what is written here. I want to give much thanks to Jan and Sharon, my partner and my secretary, respectively, for their heartfelt suggestions and encouragement, my partner Laura for facing with me the loneliness of spiritual warfare, Randy Raysbrook for sharing with me the fruit of his own exploration of the place of the heart in the spiritual life, and Bruce Nigren for trusting John and me and for editing our work with a light hand. To Ralph and Isaac, who have walked with me in different times and on different legs of the journey as brothers of the heart, you have impacted my life in eternal ways. And to John, whose heart and courage in pursuing God flow through the pages of this book intermingled with my own. I thank God for each of you. To my sisters, Candy, Angelita, and Brenda, and my brother Donnie, the years of growing up have mingled your joys, sorrows, and struggles with my own in ways that are with me always. To you, Mom, for always wanting our best, and to Paul, Don, and my own father, Frederick. From each of you I learned something about being a man. To you, Drew and Ben, for all the times of block from the hallway, prison tag, wrestling, and laughing at silly things, I love you both with all my heart and pray this book will be a window on the deepest thing that has guided my own life's journey. As well, may it be a light and a compass, part of guiding your own way home to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave you to Mom and me out of his love. Last to you, Jenny, for loaning me your eyes and heart in reading the manuscript, and for your patience over the years with my rough edges. Remember the black sand beach in New England? and the wedding ring captured on the last pole of the rake. In anticipation and hope, I dedicate this book to you. And these are my words of thanks and acknowledgement. Thanks to you, Dad, for teaching me to fish, introducing me to the West, and for our years together on the water and in the woods. And to you, Mom, for introducing me to the theater, to Shakespeare, and to literature, and to both of you for your love to me. Thanks to you, Brent, for the idea of this book and for the immense courage and grace it took to collaborate. Thanks to my wife, Stacy, whose great heart has been to mine an inspiration beyond words, love too deep for telling. I dedicate this book to you. And from both of us, our gratitude and heartfelt love to Jesus of Nazareth, author and finisher of the sacred romance. Chapter 1. The Lost Life of the Heart Thirsty hearts 
are those whose longings have been wakened by the touch of God within them. A.W. Tozer Some years into our spiritual journey, after the waves of anticipation that mark the beginning of any pilgrimage have begun to ebb into life's middle years of service and busyness, a voice speaks to us in the midst of all we are doing. There is something missing in all of this, it suggests. There is something more. The voice often comes in the middle of the night or the early hours of the morning, when our hearts are most unedited and vulnerable. At first, we mistake the source of this voice and assume it's just our imagination. We fluff up our pillow, roll over, and go back to sleep. Days, weeks, even months go by, and the voice speaks to us again. Aren't you thirsty? Listen to your heart. There is something missing. We listen, and we are aware of a sigh. And under the sigh is something dangerous, something that feels adulterous and disloyal to the religion we are serving. We sense a passion deep within that threatens a total disregard for the program we are living. It feels reckless, wild. Unsettled, we turn and walk quickly away, like a woman who feels more than she wants to when her eyes meet those of a man, not her husband. We tell ourselves that this small, passionate voice is an intruder who has gained entry because we have not been diligent enough in practicing our religion. Our pastor seems to agree with this assessment and exhorts us from the pulpit to be more faithful. We try to silence the voice with outward activity, redoubling our efforts at Christian service. We join a small group and read a book on establishing a more effective prayer life. We train to be part of a church evangelism team. We tell ourselves that the malaise of spirit we feel, even as we step up our religious activity, is a sign of spiritual immaturity, and we scold our heart for its lack of fervor. Sometime later, the voice in our heart dares to speak to us again, more insistently this time. Listen to me. There is something missing in all this. You long to be in a love affair, an adventure. You were made for something more. You know it. When the young prophet Samuel heard the voice of God calling to him in the night, he had the counsel from his priestly mentor, Eli, to tell him how to respond. Even so, it took them three times to realize it was God calling. Rather than ignoring the voice or rebuking it, Samuel finally listened. In our modern, pragmatic world, we often have no such mentor, so we do not understand it is God speaking to us in our heart. Having so long been out of touch with our deepest longing, we fail to recognize the voice and the one who is calling to us through it. Frustrated by our heart's continuing sabotage of a dutiful Christian life, some of us silence the voice by locking our heart away in the attic, feeding it only the bread and water of duty and obligation until it is almost dead, the voice now small and weak. But sometimes in the night, when our defenses are down, we still hear it call to us, oh so faintly, a distant whisper. Come morning, the new day's activities scream for our attention, and the sound of the cry is gone, and we congratulate ourselves on finally overcoming the flesh. Others of us agree to give our heart a life on the side, if only it will leave us alone and not rock the boat. We try to lose ourselves in our work or get a hobby, either of which soon begin to feel like an addiction. We have an affair, or develop a colorful fantasy life fed by dime store romances or pornography.
We learn to enjoy the juicy intrigues and secrets of gossip. We make sure to maintain enough distance between ourselves and others, and even between ourselves and our own heart, to keep hidden the practical agnosticism we are living now that our inner life has been divorced from our outer life. Having thus appeased our heart, we nonetheless are forced to give up our spiritual journey because our heart will no longer come with us. It is bound up in the little indulgences we feed it to keep it at bay. Losing Heart The life of the heart is a place of great mystery. Yet we have many expressions to help us express this flame of the human soul. We describe a person without compassion as heartless, and we urge him or her to have a heart. Our deepest hurts we call heartaches. Jilted lovers are broken-hearted. Courageous soldiers are brave-hearted. The truly evil are black-hearted, and saints have hearts of gold. If we need to speak at the most intimate level, we ask for a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Light-hearted is how we feel on vacation. And when we love someone as truly as we may, we love with all our heart. But when we lose our passion for life, when a deadness sets in which we cannot seem to shake, we confess, my heart's just not in it. In the end, it doesn't matter how well we have performed or what we have accomplished. A life without heart is not worth living. For out of this wellspring of our soul flows all true caring and all meaningful work, all real worship and all sacrifice. Our faith, hope, and love issue from this fount as well. Because it is in our heart that we first hear the voice of God, and it is in our heart that we come to know Him and learn to live in His love. So you can see that to lose heart is to lose everything. And a loss of heart best describes most men.